0: Jambo! Jambo Karibu, everybody. Today, my guest is Kevin Coffey, and he is the prof- a professor of communication from West Los Angeles College, a college I'm very proud to say I graduated from. In this episode, Kevin and I will discuss the cultural relevance of mathematics. I strongly believe that Even though math is considered a universal subject, it can differ based on the local context and the cultural context of the learner. Based on this belief, it appears, therefore, that a deep understanding of the sociocultural environment or context and local language is a significant element for the transfer and construction of knowledge and the adoption of universal principles of mathematics, science, and more. From the learner, to the ed- educator to the local environment and vice versa so this sim- this simply means that a child comes into the ca- classroom with a set of already formed knowledge and it is upon this knowledge that the teacher should be able to build in the circumstance where the teacher is unable to build upon this this lo- this knowledge because of a lack of understanding of the child's background or a lack of understanding of the child's cultural um, background or lack of understanding of what the child already knows, and then it is important to solicitate the help of the learner in, in, in better understanding where the child is coming from. So once you solicitate the, 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 the help of the learner in the learning process, the child is therefore bringing in from the local environment or from their local context, the knowledge that they have already created, the knowledge that they have already stored. And now they're going to leverage this knowledge in the classroom with the help of the teacher. And once they leverage this knowledge in the classroom with the help of the teacher, they add to their knowledge by which they take, they therefore take to the outside world. So it becomes a symbiotic relationship where the learner leaves, the, comes from outside with knowledge that is already formed. They come into the classroom, they work in collaboration with the teacher to build upon the knowledge they already have, they already have, based on what the teacher is teaching them in the classroom. The teacher is learning from the student, the student is learning from the teacher. And then now they take, the child takes that knowledge and goes back into the community implements that knowledge adds upon that knowledge and then brings it back again into the classroom. so that relationship continues it is a rotating relationship of learning. It's not just the child coming to into the classroom throwing out whatever they know from their previous years and then learning new stuff and then trying to implement that new stuff, outside of the classroom or not even trying at all. I cannot wait to share with you, um, for us to share with you our um, deep knowledge and our understanding of of this area of uh, culture and mathematics. All right, Jumbo, Jumbo, Kevin.
1: You gotta, you gotta, good
2: morning, Ruth. You gotta explain the term to me. I'm excited to learn.
0: Jumbo simply means hello. Jumbo is hello in Swahili, so Jumbo.
2: Jumbo, how are you?
0: I am doing well. How are you? I am well. <laughs> <laughs> been a long week?
2: It's been a long week, yes. Oh,
0: wow. <laughs> thank you so much for giving me your time after such a long week. Thank you so much.
2: No, no, thank you. This this is a marvelous opportunity i uh, i'm grateful oh
0: um, thank you asante asante is thank you in swahili too <laughs> okay kevin can you tell me what your name stands for like is there a history to your name it is fascinating you love coffee and you drink it coffee or your name is coffee what is it about that name i am fascinated to know why your name uh uh, uh coffee okay oh, well it
2: was well, really, it comes it, it it happened during World War II in the United States. Initially, our family name, in fact, everybody on my father's side except for him spelled their name C O F F E Y. I am the product of very old parents, and so my father actually served in World War II, and as a soldier. During World War II, right? My dad went to go get paid once. And they spelled his name C-O-F-F-E-E, just like the drink, not C O F F E Y, like right. the family name. And he said, You spelled my name wrong. And they said, Yeah, okay. He said, Well, you're gonna spell my name right? They said, Yeah, but if we spell your name right, you won't get a check <laughs> for another <laughs> month. And he said, it's good enough. <laughs> it's close <laughs> enough. And so ever since then, just his kids and our family and and and, and our progeny have spelt their name C-O-F-F-E-E, whereas the rest of uh rest of our family right. spelled their name C-O-F-F-E-Y. So
0: Oh, that is so interesting. That is so interesting. See, I love names and you always get all these interesting stories from names.
2: <laughs> well, what, well what about yours I mean that you know
0: I, well, I, I, so my i i it's it's almost it's almost a tradition that every episode somehow I have to explain my name or talk about my name but you ask you ask so I you ask can't blame me for bringing it up again you ask so my let me follow up with the story that you just told my father, I think my father had to switch his names also for that same reason. World War II, and he he uh, he went to collect a paycheck. His paycheck seemed to have been going to somebody else with the same names, with the same order of name as he he had, and he literally had to switch his name. I think his name was uh, at the beginning he had stated kumbo. Joseph Ndifon or something like that but there was another Akumbu Joseph or something like that so he messed up his paycheck. so he had to switch it and put it as Joseph Akumbu Ndifon if memory serves me right there is a conflict on name so it's interesting that i being coming from cameroon across the continent we have a similar stories from our family during World war So it's so fascinating to, think, to to hear this type of stories so but my it, it, father it, it, go ahead
2: no I'm just gonna say indeed it is it, it yeah. um it might point to something uh, it, it might point to something bigger but we'll we'll yes. push on
0: <laughs> so my my father named me uh Vitsamamo, which is my middle name when I was born because he had lost his hearing in a car accident. He was driving from one place to another, got in a car accident, could not very bad brain thing and lost his hearing. So he, he, he spent, by the time I was born, he couldn't hear and he had to retire because he couldn't hear and he retired now to the village. And because he wasn't married, it was very odd for, for a man his age and state to, 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 to be single. Um, so he had a previous marriage and that, end, did not end, that ended in a divorce or something. So um, he was going around the village and he, people were talking about him, right? So they would gossip like, oh, look at this old man, he's not married, blah, 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 whatever they say to an old man in a village that is not married. And he, when he finally got married and had me, me i being his oldest child from this uh, marriage he named me vetsamomo so he basically named me they're talking about me so it's almost like in your face i know you're talking about me <laughs> 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 and because we were christian he gave me ruth he gave you Ruth. he gave me uh um, which i didn't really <laughs> use for a long time because i just thought is too long why will you name me vitamomo like something like that and all of that and uh, eventually i think as i i am matured and and started to even use the name for my own personal reasons mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh you're talking about me that's on you i know you're talking about me but i know you're talking about me. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that became that became uh i now i use it i use it more often than i i used to use it in the past so that's my name those are my name name well
2: you know it's interesting because we talk about names and i think that's going to blend very well into the discussion Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know that we're going to have uh you know it works very well as an introduction because i have my mother Had quite a sense of humor about certain things. Mm -hmm. I have a younger brother, Keith, and an older sister, Kim. So here's this African American family where the initials of the children are KKK. (laughs)
1: Uh,
2: We, no, we, (laughs) I said my mother had a very uh, interesting sense of humor. Um, had it not been for had it not been for a tragic accident,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, right before I was born, uh, uh, one of my cousins died. Uh, my mother's sister, her so, two of her sons died in a traffic accident, right before I was born. I would have had a middle name that started with F. Actually, it would have been after my grandfather, Franklin. Mm-hmm. And then all of us, because my brother's initials are KFC, my sister's initials are KFC. Yeah. Mine would have been KFC, but instead they are KMC. Oh. So, but all of this comes from you know as, as yours mine
1: yes. it
2: comes from a comes from a place of culture. Yes. You know, it it our names are culturally based, even though, yeah, you know, Kevin is far from is uh, far from far uh, from maybe uh, the African diaspora, but it's very much American, right? And that's you know the culture that I've been brought up in,
1: and yes. so yes, you I, know, oh, it's so so it's, okay.
2: so it's reflective of that.
1: Right, you know, just like
2: exactly. KFC, you know, Kentucky <laughs> fried chicken. My mother's got Kentucky fried chicken across the <laughs> or the KKK, the
1: cookbook. And the
2: KKK, you know. So, you know, <laughs> you know, all of it has cultural significance. And I think um and I believe that's what we're gonna talk about, right?
0: I see, I I I love I love that we can laugh about things like this. I the things that um that if somebody else had looked at your name, that it doesn't understand the background or not from your background or your family, and looked at you and said "KKK," it will not come across the same way as when you tell me the story. So we might laugh about it, but if somebody made this joke outside, it would not be funny. So, <laughs> it
1: would it, be a
2: very different context. Okay, yes, a
0: different kind of a joke. <laughs> So, yes, I absolutely love it. I love that we can laugh about it. And I love that your parents had that sense of humor, Either, whether intentionally or not intentionally.
2: Oh, it was intentional.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is funny. It was intentional. All right. Love it. Love it. So um, I would like for you to just throw it out there, tell us a little bit more about yourself, what you do, your job, and, um, and I would chip in how I know you and why you are such a wonderful man. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You're far too generous with your praise. Uh, I am a professor of communication studies at West Los Angeles College. Um, uh, my background is in communication studies and mathematics. I know I said way too many ums for a communications professor.
1: <laughs> <Okay>.
2: <laughs> my passion is in teaching, but my passion is my students. Oh. And that's how I met you, right. though not directly as a student.
0: Right. Tell the story. I'll meet you. Yes. So um, how you met me or how I met you was because I was in this I think I started algebra class the last year of of my of my two years in at, at uh, West Los Angeles, the school I'm very proud of, of course. And uh, so, West Los Angeles, I went I went in. I wanted to be a business major, and I knew that to be a business major, I needed mathematics. So there was no getting away from any of the math. I knew that for me to pass a math class, it would take so much work. So I. Kind of put it off. So what I did was I put off math until my almost my last year. The strategy was if I complete all of the prerequisites and all the subjects before I touch math, I'm not going to be discouraged and drop out of that math. I will know it's the last thing I need to do to get the degree I want. So that was kind of a strategy. So I I followed through with that strategy, and when I started my math classes, it was exactly as hard as I thought it would be. <laughs> so I ended up every single every single class day, I will end up at the learning center because I needed help. And I wanted to do homework somewhere where if I get stuck, I can just turn around and ask a tutor. And you were at the center every single time I was there. And um, I remember those days when, it was really, really hard and I will fail a test or I will come back and I'd worked so hard on something I didn't do as well as I thought I would and I'll be just so distraught, distraught. And you were not just helping oversee the tutoring center, but you were, you, you were more like a mentor. You were more like a coach you where you were helping us motivate us to keep going. So I personally knew that I had a champion pushing me forward to keep going, even though this was really hard. I had somebody that when I went to the tutoring center, even if I was crying, it was gonna be okay by the time I left. And one of the advice you gave me was this. You said, this is not the end of the road, bro. This is, this is not where you are going, this is not where you're going to end up. Like math is just one of the, the things you're doing now that is." going to propel you to where you're supposed to be the way you said it i don't i am not capturing it exactly how you said it but it is something that stuck with me i went home the hurt didn't go away that i i didn't get the, the, the grade i wanted for that class but for that particular test it didn't the pain didn't go away but it planted a seed in my head where i slowly started just building on that mindset through the rest of the math classes that I was taking. I was just like, I'm going to give it my 110%. All I need is a pass. (laughs) And eventually I seized my way through some of the classes and the day I got a B, I was so happy. I celebrated more than somebody that always had an A. I celebrated that B. And um, I, I graduated with that degree and moved on. And here I am today
2: with you about what, five years later? Yeah, five years later. And you, 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 fantastic. I mean, uh, BA, MBA, PhD, I mean, you you have the whole alphabet soup behind your name. So, you know, you are, uh, you are what is possible for students if they put in the work and they believe in themselves and I know those words sound trite, and, but they, they may be, but they're so true, right, yeah, they are so true,
0: right, I, yeah, um, I really, I definitely, when it comes to math, I, I had to really, it's like, I you can approach math, somebody, like, being somebody that is not, um, that does, is not a lover of math, that is not, that math doesn't come to naturally and needs to do a lot of work, there is, there's, they, you cannot add, come at math with pride, you have to come at math with humility. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, that's an interesting way to put it, that, that we come to, that some of us yes. have to come to math with humility, with
0: humility because, because
2: it, it will humble us.
0: <laughs> It you will know, either humble you or destroy you, and you will run away. So, I had to really swallow my pride because I was an adult learner. I started school at thirty six, so I was an adult learner. I wasn't, I wasn't young, so I knew. And I was in this class with eighteen year olds 18 that were finishing this thing and walking out of the class like, "Yeah, that wasn't hard at all." And I'm sitting there going, "I'm sweating this stuff." So, I, I, I had to swallow every single pride I have. And just really walk through that thing with humility, and that's that's the thing with learning for me. I, I really learned how to be humble. <laughs> well,
2: and and you know that's um, you know, but that's part of that's part of the learning process. Mm-hmm. Uh, a certain amount of humility, yeah.
1: uh,
2: because eventually you will, if if you stay in education long enough, if you matriculate long enough, you will run into some subject. That will humble you. Yes. You know, you will find some subject that you just not good at.
1: Yeah.
2: And it's it's interesting what we were talking about the other day, and right. I think is the subject of this 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 cast. Yes. And that is we were talking about culture.
1: Yeah.
2: And education, or culture, culture and education, and culture and pedagogy. That is how we teach students to learn and whether or not culture was an important component to that Mm -hmm. Uh, you you pick up on something when you talk about humility because a certain amount of humility is in cultures Mm -hmm. you know the concepts of humility you know, what now what it means in one culture isn't necessarily what it might mean in another culture,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but that notion of humility. And so, my question would be you know, as we jump into the subject of culture and teaching, would be as a student, how do I see, how, do, how, how is humility, how is coming at something humbly? helpful in my learning and as an instructor because I teach
1: mm-hmm.
2: is humility as an instructor that is to say I don't know it all I, I I don't know everything or or if you don't like that to be open to learning new things mm-hmm. yes I know a great deal about this subject matter I know a great deal about communication studies I've read especially in my particular area which is rhetoric and interpersonal communication
1: Mm
2: -hmm. i i know the literature you know i know the scholars i know the work that's being done right now Mm -hmm. but can my students as an instructor can my students make me see something that i hadn't seen before Mm
1: -hmm. you know
2: by being humble that that notion of humility right because if i come at it I know it all.
1: Right.
2: I y'all can't tell me nothing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know,
0: I, do I, I? Go ahead. Yeah, I I completely agree because, um, when when I did during my research when I reviewed the literature, um, I think over two hundred different literatures, literature pieces of literature. I I the one conclusion I took away from. In, in from the literature review was the the, the symbolic relationship that that learning that students and teachers should have. So learning is not just a component of of the classroom. Learning is not just what you read in a book and tell the child. Learning is also how the child is participating in that process. So because the child when the child comes into the classroom, the child already knows a ton of things. In different things, just like you know a ton of things in different areas, that child already knows a ton of things in different areas. So, they're coming into a communication classroom or they're coming into a math classroom with prior knowledge in in that area. It might not be as clearly stated as you might have it as a teacher well organized in their brains, but they still have these schemas. They still have this these mental models that they have already developed before coming into the classroom. So when they come into classroom and they start to, and and you as the teacher might not be humble or you're not a good listener, you might interpret some of the things the child is saying as gibberish. Meanwhile, the child is actually trying to to take what you're telling them in a classroom and construct upon and construct new knowledge with based on what they brought in from the outside. And once they take what you brought in, they brought in from the outside. They take what you've teach, taught them in the classroom, and they go back outside. They still implement the things, and they even build upon it from the outside. They build more knowledge upon that. So you could teach a class a child one thing today. By the time they come back next week in class, they they have grown. That knowledge have grown. But you have to give them room to be able to do that, to build that symbiotic relationship between you, their local environment and the classroom.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to pick up on something. I'm going to pick up on something that you said when you talked about mental models. Right. Most of, I'll I'll say it this way. My philosophical, my pedagogical philosophy is simply this, is that most learning is built from analogy. That is to say, I'm going to connect this new material to something you already know Mm -hmm. okay and so i can't as an educator uh, humility is saying you know something Mm -hmm. and so what i want to do is i want to build on that foundation of this thing that you already know (laughs) right and so i want to construct and so the new knowledge that i want to bring to you i want to construct on what you already know, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why I tell my students now. I didn't always, but I tell them now. One of the rules in my classroom is you cannot say, I don't know. Mm. Wow. Okay. Now, what you may not know is what's in my head. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because see, I have something in my head that that I'm trying to get you to match up with. That's that's one thing. But to say I don't know, yes you do. Because oftentimes we don't know what we know
1: mm-hmm.
2: until it's brought out in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And also this notion you know enough for me to help you help me by telling me what you do know. Mm-hmm so that I can now, oh, okay, you know this, so now I can shape this information in a particular way so that I can link it to what you actually do know mm-hmm. so that you can integrate it into your existing body of knowledge.
0: That's right. That's right. <clears throat> that is so true. I I have mentioned, I think, in a previous uh, episode that the only way I was able to successfully go through some of the things that the teachers were asking of me to complete as assignments in classroom was con- connecting what I know to the subject matter in classroom. I will write a paper sometimes based on something in my childhood or something from my culture that the teacher has absolutely no idea what, what that, that story is. But I would write it in such a way that connects to the knowledge, the, the, the objectives of the teacher, connects to the objective that the teacher wants me to meet. Just because if I didn't do that, I completely drew a blank. I would not know what the teacher is asking of me. And it would just, I, I came across like I was dumb, but it wasn't necessarily because I was dumb. It was because what the teacher was saying wasn't directly connecting to any of the knowledge in uh, in my knowledge bank. None of it, zero ZEP. Or it's in there somewhere, I just need to start digging. I start to need to connect to one thing, connect to the other, to connect. Before I know it, it finally clicks. But I had to be aware of the fact that the things that the teacher is saying, it it doesn't mean I cannot do it. It just means that I need to find something to connect that knowledge too, so that I can freely do it.
1: And that's part, that's it.
2: And, but in order for that to happen, the student has to believe that there's something in them that they can connect to this new information that's coming in. It's also, I believe, incumbent upon the instructor, the teacher, to help the student find that within them. Now, this gets very difficult if all the student is searching for is not that thing within them to connect to this new material, but the quote-unquote right answer, that thing in the teacher's head.
0: <laughs> Good.
2: <laughs> because, because what happens is yeah. if they can't guess correctly or if they don't know what's in the teacher's head, then they cease to stop Look, They, they, they cease looking.
1: Mm-hmm. They
2: just sort of stop. They just sort of shut down.
1: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, I don't know what's in your head. Um that's
0: yeah. true, and that's true, and that's and it that's probably why there's such a drive for A's. People like this. people want to get A's so bad that because it's like it it's a it's a sign of oh I know what the teacher knows, or oh, I'm doing what the teacher wants me to do, without realizing that there is so much in you that if you bring it out, you're actually adding even to the knowledge of the teacher, like you're yes. upon the knowledge of the teacher. And maybe teachers need to be a little bit more like pulling on the theme of humility and say, hey, look, I'm learning from you as you're learning from me. You might know, but I don't. So don't think that you don't know. Let's bring out what you know and let's see how we can make it connect in classroom. Now, this well, brings me, yeah, oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah.
2: No, no, go, no, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, so what that sounds like to me is you know, because we 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 had, we had discussed earlier, yes. not in this cast, but we had discussed it another time, the notion of the teacher understanding the culture of the students right. in order to better, in order to be a better teacher. Mm-hmm. It made me think. So shouldn't we also understand the culture of the instructor? See, because the instructor too brings their culture, which may not be the same as the teacher. Because I, I can look at my own situation. I there's a there's there's between most of my students and myself there's almost 40 years difference. And what they've experienced, like most of my students grew up with this thing, <laughs> cell phone. Right. You know, for me, this thing is a marvel that came when I was in my middle 20s Mm -hmm. you know so I didn't always have it Mm -hmm. and so you approach things very differently if it's sort of a technology that you didn't grow up with that came about once you were a grown adult Mm -hmm. versus one that was always there and so there's some real cultural differences especially in how we approach communication.
1: Right.
2: Um given the proliferation of social media. Like I said, some of my students, social media's been there all their lives.
1: Right. I'm like,
2: yeah, I remember with Facebook was, you know, I remember with Facebook with MySpace. You know
0: MySpace, <laughs> MySpace. <laughs>
2: you know, I, I remember when all of these things were like these electronic bulletin boards and and you know the beginnings of all of this stuff. Right. and so I should be you know as an instructor, I see myself as having to be aware of uh, my cultural biases mm-hmm. and my cultural beliefs, mm-hmm. and how are those impacting my ability to teach the material that i'm you know that I'm charged to teach to my students, mm-hmm. and is it impacting? Or is it just, hey, I am who I am. They need to come to me.
0: Right, right. Which is, which is a big issue today because you have, to, you have to teach based on the local context and the culture at the time. You, can't, you, you, you just can't throw that out and think that classroom is going to go well. Like 40 years difference to, in a classroom with kids today, you can't teach them the way you were taught growing up. You can use the same artifacts that you were taught growing up. Most of these kids, like you said, they do everything on their phone. They Google this stuff. We never have Google. You're not going to be like- I have Google.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You you know, it's
2: funny. You were talking about math class. Do you know, like, take, and because I remember you from calculus, business calculus. Yeah. So take something like, Differentiating a simple algebraic equation. Yeah, you can put that into Google, and it will do it for you. <laughs> Th- this would have been amazing for me.
0: Having,
2: having, having <laughs> that when I was taking <laughs> calculus,
0: <laughs> <laughs> like you get the homework. You're like, okay, let's just Google it and see. Let's just the Google job. the
2: whole thing and,
0: and
1: be done with it.
0: Yeah. it you know, it, it would have been amazing. It's so era.
1: It it's a it different era. To teachers to teach these days. Or does well, it's
2: it it easy. It, I think it makes it different.
1: Yeah. And
2: harder or easier, I think, depends on a number of different factors. Like, it depends on how, and I'm gonna use this term, how calcified we as instructors are. Mm-hmm. If we go again, if we go, look, it's my way at the highway. It's my class. Yeah. You know, you either do it my way mm-hmm. or you know, you get out or you fail, you know, or do we say, this is our class Mm -hmm. and let's figure out a way for us to move towards each other. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not a one-way street. I think students, students have, you know, what we want students to do is bring more of themselves and we must encourage them to do it because I think K through 12 doesn't do a real good job of encouraging students to bring more of themselves
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, in fact it does just the opposite
1: right. students
2: students are going oh i don't want to say anything because i might be wrong sorry right. about that
1: um right. <laughs>
0: uh, but especially I, in, I, in africa yeah no you're not wrong in, especially on the african continent um students Go into the classroom here in the United States I noticed that I have more of a voice in the classroom you're right you need you need a moment
2: No I just my camera's okay <laughs> there
1: we go so let's I, come back
0: yeah so I was noting that um in growing up in in Cameroon um, mm-hmm. when, when in the classroom you're basically like this and you just accept right you just take in you don't you don't you don't interact necessarily if the teacher asks you a question you put up your hand you answer the question you sit down so there's not a lot of discussions happening so classroom is from the time the child leaves home at age five with their prior knowledge a different way of learning at home learning from everybody learning by doing they show up into the classroom all of a sudden they're sitting like this and everything they, they have to just take in, copy notes, take in, copy notes. And they don't really, there's not a lot of interaction. So it's a completely different situation once a child, say an, a child that grew up in that situation, comes to the US and they sit in a second a college classroom and they're expected to start interacting or they're expected to start engaging with the teacher and, and, and Having these different discussions with the with, with, with other students in the class, it's it's a little slightly different. I'm not. Oh, saying, yeah, go ahead. No,
2: I'm just saying it's not slightly. It's a lot <laughs> be, because what happens is the the expectation. Yes. Is jarring to many students. Mm-hmm. They think, you know, it, all of a sudden, instead of just be, being these empty vessels with being filled with whatever the teacher is giving Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden okay what do you think right i don't think anything you tell me what should i think you tell me what do i think
0: what do you what do you want me to do you tell me what what you want me to do so it becomes almost a hierarchical system where because you are the leader you you i have to listen to you and take what you're saying and do what you're telling me to do and now I want to do exactly what you're telling me to do. And I'm not using anything else. I'm not trying to, like, go outside the box and all of that.
2: So it, it, Exactly. And I don't know how effective that is today. Like I said, that's how I learned, though. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I was taught. Right. They, they were like, look, even as an undergraduate, mostly, yeah. you sit down, you shut up. You take these notes. Yeah. If I ask a question, yeah. raise your hand, your answer. and we'll pick on somebody. Yeah. And if you can answer that question, right, you got it.
1: Yeah, you know.
0: So it's a it's a very it's a it's a very Western system of, of teaching because the, the African child in general, if they don't go to a classroom, that's not how they learn that's not how the African child learns. So when we're talking about the culture of the child in general, at home, that's not how children learn. And home is one of the highest places where the child learns. So if the child is learning differently at home by interacting with the parent, by watching the parent do things and modeling what the parents are doing, and then they show up in the classroom and they're almost constrained to a certain way of doing things, so it doesn't align. So learning at home doesn't align with learning at school. And it's a throw off it throws off. But I'm, I'm hoping like with these different like participatory teachings, teacher-centered teaching and all, uh, and all of that cultural relevant teaching that we are going to start moving away and letting the child come fully to the classroom like you were saying.
2: Well, as a communication scholar, Yeah or at least if somebody studied communication. The most important component in, in, in the communication, in the communicative transaction is not the sender of the message. It right. is the receiver of the message.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's funny in education, at least in the West, we've generally flipped that. The most important person is the sender of the message, mm-hmm. teacher. Mm-hmm. And the secondary party is the receiver, the student. So, Physician Heal Thyself. What I've done, what I attempted to do in the classroom is to bring the communicative paradigm into the classroom, which means I, as a sender, I, as a sender of the message, have to consider not what I'm
1: saying,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: but what my students are hearing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's most fundamental actually that's most clearly seen in the subject we were talking about earlier math
0: right
2: where look I'ma use I'ma use our example
1: right two divided by two yes is one but see when I said two divided by two I know what I said but
2: what did my student hear right and that's what i should be most concerned about right. not necessarily what i said but what they're hearing
0: right yes because
2: and, that's that's what's the at the essence of communication at
0: the essence of that communication and which which is great i'm so glad that you transitioned into into this that example because um based on the study that i did and we talked about this earlier before in our prior meeting to this, uh, to this meeting, uh, we talked about it, and it's it's the the teacher that brought this up. The two divided by two, he brought it up in the context that that child is dumb and that child should get out and go learn something else. But the child is not dumb. The child is basically using something that is relevant to their culture in a math class that the teacher is like because the teacher knows what the textbooks are saying. The teacher completely dismisses the learner and said, "You're wrong. Two divided your, how how stupid are you? Two divided by two is not. Uh, uh, uh,
2: it's zero. not zero. Yes, it's it's it's, two it's, two it's one. Yes. And and you're absolutely right. I mean that 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 is absolutely the crux of what's wrong. Is right. that you're looking at the textbook? Textbook says it, it's two. We're only concerned with what we're saying. We're not concerned with what they're hearing.
0: Yes." And how what they're hearing is 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 set up in their mind. How, exactly. how is exactly connecting in their mind, and how is it relevant to their culture? Like,
2: and, to, and to their lived experience, which is their, their culture.
0: Which is their culture? Yes, because it's like I show up in classroom, I know from maybe I'm five, six, seven, and I'm in a classroom, not even seven, because you start doing some of these things. When you're, yeah, when you're about seven or eight, when you start doing those divisions, when you're about seven mm-hmm. or eight. Now, one, once you're doing it and the teacher is telling you two divided by two is, is one, two divided by two is one. And you're sitting there cracking your head and going, why, why two divided by two? I keep writing zero because every time I'm at home and you ask me, take these two things and divide it by two, with, with your brother and sister, I divide it. Those two things, there's nothing left after I divide it. So nothing. how come you're uh, telling me that two divided by two is one? Nothing is left. There is nothing left. So two divided by two cannot be one. And cannot be, yes. And one divided by one, exactly, cannot be one or whatever. Like, it does not work like that in my brain. Like, it just doesn't work like that. Exactly. So, right. Mathematically, it, I know we had this conversation. We, we, we talked on this a little bit. Mathematically, it's wrong. But the child is not wrong. Is there a rationale behind this that you think from your studies, um, from your mathematical studies? Well,
2: I have a lot of opinions on this, but (laughs) particularly, particularly this one. I believe that generally, generally, because because there are some exceptions there's some wonderful exceptions out there in terms of mathematical teaching and mathematical training so there are some wonderful wonderful uh work being done mm-hmm. in the classrooms in teaching mathematics so i i, I don't want to paint this with too broad a brush Right. however generally and this is really prevalent the higher up you go right math is not taught math is merely transmitted mm-hmm. Okay. In other words, I'm simply going to say it, write it on the board, have it on a PowerPoint slide, and it is up to you to get it, to bring it into yourself, to integrate it into um, the body of knowledge that you already possess. Mm-hmm. That's not my, as an instructor, math, that's not my job. My job is merely to transmit it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the major flaws with uh, uh, in, in in mathematical pedagogy. I also, and uh, this might be a little controversial. I also don't know if it's a particular help to students to know uh, necessarily that people who look like you actually did math.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I don't know if that, I I don't know if it's helpful. I'm not saying it's not. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is, I don't know if it's helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think what may be more helpful is that you telling students you can do it and that you know Mm -hmm. that you bring, that, that there's plenty in you that knows mathematics like that student who said two divided by two is zero Mm -hmm. you know teacher said ah that's wrong maybe it's wrong under the base 10 arithmetic algorithm yes but under another base under a different kind of algorithm it could be perfectly correct
0: right or upon you know. the local context in which the child is speaking. So you're teaching uh, and you're teaching math now, math become relevant to the child when yeah. you can take into consideration that two divided by two in that child's local context and culture is zero. It is mathematically flawed when solving a bunch of other mathematical uh, problems that are based on a different context, but it is not completely flawed. It is not it, completely
2: it, 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 We're saying the same thing. We're saying that the child is not wrong.
0: Right. Exactly. And
2: you know, it, the context is different.
0: Yes, exactly. And until the until we as educators can start to appreciate the fact that not everything the child is saying that doesn't match what we're saying is wrong, then we are actually going it is only then we are we're actually going to start really teaching especially children from different cultural backgrounds, most effectively?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's,
2: I, I, I would take it a step further. I would say not just children from different cultural backgrounds, but just students in general.
1: Yeah.
2: If, 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 because I teach at a community college, I have people who, I, I, my students come from excellently prepared to students who need a great deal of remediation. Mm -hmm. so it 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 varies widely Mm -hmm. um if you if i taught at a school like ucla Mm -hmm. ucla though much 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 larger you know maybe by a whole maybe by an entire magnitude uh much greater in population than my school they're much more homogeneous right at least academically OK, and so it's easier to actually teach there because you're dealing with a much more homogeneous population academically. Now, they, they have different cultural backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different, different all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds, all kinds of things. But academically, they're all talented, mm-hmm. driven. Mm-hmm. You know, we're at the top or near the top of their class, wherever they went to school, um, so they're a much more homogeneous group. Mm-hmm. Whereas <clears throat> where I am, you really have to be what we what we like to call, and I don't know if we're we've made it there yet. We really have to be student centered.
1: Right.
2: Which for a communications person is just like duh. Because, <laughs> well, 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 because for us, that's simply saying this. You have to take into consider, when you develop your message, you simply have to take into consideration your audience. You got to (laughs) talk, think about who you're talking to. (laughs) You you know, that's fundamental to us. And so this notion that we're now going and teaching going, oh, yeah, I guess we should take take into account who we're trying to teach.
0: (laughs) Yes, you're right, because it's like, at that higher level, it, it, like a homogeneous school that is more homogenic than West LA, like UCLA is more homogenic than West LA. So at UCLA, that might be like, duh, I need to take into consideration what? But at West LA, you absolutely need to take into consideration your students because they come from those different cultural backgrounds, those different uh, financial backgrounds, different, like every diversity in your one classroom, is outstanding so
1: it's, <laughs> yeah. it's
0: super hard to just be like okay i'm just gonna just go with the flow like you mentioned that you you work in in within a certain um what is it um what is the mathematical term not with the outliers, but within that, that the 90 percent percentile so you use the yes percentile to 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 teach because you first of all look at the class you measure the percentile of the of the diversity in the classroom and then you teach from that percentile and then you take care of the outliers exactly thinking that you are going to focus on one child at every instant because it will be impossible so you you create a percentile and then you take care of the outliers uh, during teaching
1: now if you want Oh, go Go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No,
0: no, no. Go ahead. No, I was
2: just going to simply say, if you want more individualized teaching, then you reduce, then you reduce class size. Class
0: size. Very true. You, you.
2: I I mean, this is not a mystery.
0: Right.
2: It's just that we don't have the uh, financial will to do that. But it's it's not a mystery. If you want more individual, if you want more individual attention,
1: right?
2: Or individualized teaching. Simply reduce the class size. I have some classes where I've had 15 students. Some of the most remarkable results Mm -hmm. have come from classes that small. Think about some of your graduate classes. You know, I think about some of my graduate classes. There were 10, 15, five students in the class. And think about what you were able to achieve and accomplish in those classes, in classes of that size. You know, it's it, it, it's it's, yeah, it's it's nothing it's short just, of remarkable.
0: It's great. I really enjoyed my PhD classroom. I really enjoyed my PhD classroom because um, I felt in most of my classrooms I felt like a number, tr- just trying to move to the next level, just trying every day to move to the next level. But we had a small classroom, and class. I felt heard. I felt I felt like my opinion mattered. I, I, I was able to connect knowledge to my background and my culture, which meant that I brought a different perspective to every topic because of my heritage, because of my background, because of my culture. And I really enjoyed that classroom, ex- those classroom experiences more than I enjoyed my undergraduate <laughs> classroom experiences because of the class size, because of the class size.
1: So yes,
2: by you, We can make it more student-oriented by reducing the class size. But given that we don't, that sort of bell curve kind of teaching where you try to figure out where your 90%, 80%, 90% of your class is, teach to that and then make sure you help the outliers, those who are going faster, maybe give them something to keep them to keep them motivated and engaged, those who are not picking it up as quickly uh, doing some supplemental things to help them keep stay engaged and stay with the class mm-hmm. uh, yeah. however, what's interesting is what they want us to do is they want us to do in our syllabus they want us to have a schedule of what we're covering when. So, you know, like, so whatever, um, you know, on Monday. So next Monday, I should have in my syllabus, this is what we're going to do. And I'm going, how would I know what we're going to do before I even meet my students?
1: Yeah.
2: And say, and say that it's student-centered. Right. Because I shouldn't be able to come up with that. Until I meet who's in my class, yeah. till I can see, cause we may be able to get to something faster, or it may take a little bit longer.
0: Right. That, is, that is such a it, that is such a unique perspective because it's like they want the 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 the, the 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 schedules, they want everything all laid out before they go in. It's almost like they're evaluating what you're going to teach the student based on what you're giving them but which is unfair to the student because you, like you said, you really don't know who you're going to get. You might get a girl from Africa like me. And, and I'm like, huh? What? <laughs> you know?
2: Oh, if I, yeah, if I had a bunch of students like you, then it's just like, whoo, okay. We can, <laughs> we can cover a whole lot of stuff really quickly because you're going to get it. You're going to pick it up and we're going to run with it.
1: Oh, but thank you, thank you. But,
2: but that's the thing, you know, how can we be student-centered if we don't know who are, because I, I never take for granted That this class is like the one I just had.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a monolith. Each class has a culture of its own. (laughs) This class has its own
2: thing. Well, there you go. You just said it again. We take, you know, we we look at the bigger culture, we look at the culture that the student brings in, but also there's the culture of the classroom. Right. You know, and different classrooms have different cultures. Right. even, you know, I, I teach four classes. I, I, class one has a different culture than class two, has a different culture than class three, has a different culture than class four. Yeah. They're all not
0: the same. Right. right. Which really, you have to yeah. teach to them. Yes, yes, which makes it more important to know your classroom before you, you completely build out what you're going to teach that classroom, not build it all out. And they show up in class, and this class is like, yeah, no, we don't get that. So it's it's you need to know your classroom before you completely build out a schedule, a schedule for teaching.
2: Yeah, so, but note, no too, that if you do do that, if you do build out that class, yes. you do build out that schedule before you meet that class. Since you put in all that work, it's harder for you as the instructor to go, okay, maybe I need to scrap this and do something else. You go, oh, no, oh, all that work, we're going <laughs> to...
0: I put in 40 hours on this. I'm not changing a thing. So,
2: so you all catch up or you don't.
0: Right. And and then it creates a hostile cultural environment for that child. Wow. So I want to touch a couple of things, mathematic wise, because uh, we wanted to really dig in a little bit on mathematics seems to be one of those subjects that we believe it's a universal subject. So it doesn't really need to change from classroom to classroom. It's the same thing, like, math is math. But um, like we have noted with the two divided by two, math is not just math, math also ah. has cultural context. I was reading this morning, I was reading an article which I thought I would share with you. And Please. the article is, is, is called, it's a 19, 1970 article. It's, a, it's an okay. old article, but I found it fascinating. It's it's uh called Mathemat- the mathematics teacher. No, it's the source is for mathematics teacher. It's called Black African Traditional Mathematics, and it's the author is Claudia Zeslasky. Z- <laughs> okay. So that's the author. And I it was quite fascinating because in my research, I had found that the, the Kisi people of Kenya, they speak, they 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 count in these five so reading, yeah and when their children go to school they count in base 10. so we're just looking to see what other bases were out there and i in this article there's a, a mention of base of base 20 there's a mention of base 4 there's a mention of um teaching base so there's like a base 5 and 4 and 20 system and uh there is this one thing that they noted that I really, the gesture counting um, and how they mentioned that the gesture counting might look primitive when you're counting using your, your, your finger one and all of that. It might seem primitive, but they said, this, numer- this numera- numeration is used for space travel calculations. And I was like, you cannot just think that one way of doing something is primitive and then dismiss it because it could it it is effective in other areas. Like you're looking at it and saying this tribe is doing this thing, that's not how we do it. This is not how the text was saying this. Let's teach them the civilized way of doing things. No, you it might be civilized in your culture to do that, but for that other culture, it is not civilized, it is not their way of counting. And this, this particular article just breaks down some different cultures and how different cultures across Africa do their counting, whether they are doing the plus one or the minus one. And the mathematics of it is, is super fascinating. I no,
2: and it. It, it, that, that, that's exactly it. And that exists, look, that exists in mathematics itself. This a yeah. great story.
1: Right.
2: Great story. A uh, guy named Joseph Riemann. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, late 1800s created a mathematics based on our our plane geometry says that parallel lines don't meet Mm -hmm. he changed that axiom said parallel lines do meet Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and constructed a whole completely different geometry people looked at that geometry as an abstract system and said okay yeah fine but it's useless
1: right
2: it was useless until this guy you might have heard of it named Albert Einstein said, (laughs) this is the mathematics I need for special relativity. General, I think general and special relativity. Mm -hmm. So it was useless Mm -hmm. until somebody found a use
1: for it. it. Because
2: they thought it was useless and silly until somebody found a use for it. So this is actually in the fabric of mathematics itself.
1: Right.
2: You know, this notion that you know, like you said, you know, one of the things that fascinated what you just said was, you know, people counting using their fingers.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We see using fingers as uh, elemental, elementary, mm-hmm. because the highest form of thought is all just mm-hmm. in your head, <laughs> because that kinesthetic, you know, that movement. Mm-hmm. It, that's antithetical to intellectualism why why can't it be a part of intellectualism you know so you know broadening our minds to what to what intelligence is as opposed to saying it's this thing here yeah well it may be this thing here Right. This larger thing. So yeah. you, you brought you you're on point. Yeah, you're right on point. And 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 one one other thing quickly. Yeah. You were talking about base, you were talking about base five, base twenty, base, you know, yeah. these different these different bases. Most of the audience won't understand what you mean by base, <laughs> you know, by changing to base, you know, whatever. Cause I mo- all of us understand most of us understand base ten and right. we go, that's just how we count. Right you know, we go one, you know, zero to 10. Base two, which is what our computer, this, this computer setup we're using, that's how it counts, right. <laughs> it does everything. That's how your cell phone does everything,
0: right.
2: through base two. What about base three, base four, base five?
0: Oh. Right, yeah, because when I saw base four, I was like, oh, that's fascinating. Now you've mentioned base two. And one cultural fascination that I had with, that I, I noted with uh, base 20, was that base 20, because the person counting in base five and then base 20 was a solid base. You say base five, base five, right? And then Mm -hmm. they count, and then the five toes, five toes. So they would, base base 20 was basically saying the whole person. So they basically- The whole person, yes. they, they, They called base 20, the whole person. So in counting a tribe, if you go and say to somebody, I want the whole person, in like you're looking at maybe a bunch of bananas and you say, I want the whole person. Somebody that doesn't understand that cultural language will be like, what do you mean you want the whole person? Just tell me how many you want. But the person listening in that cultural context knows that they want 20 bananas, right? So it's quite mind blowing how diverse mathematics can be, even though- That's that's
1: absolutely fascinating. Yeah.
2: That, that, that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and the, all of these things should be taken into account in terms of how we go about teaching,
1: mm-hmm.
2: because teaching, at, at least from my perspective, teaching is nothing more than communication. Mm-hmm. And with communication, again, sorry, my you know my instructors, uh, my colleagues, teaching. If teaching is communication, then what's important is not what you say. Yes. What's most important is what they hear. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And so we should direct all of our attention. Yeah. To being yeah. heard. Right. By our students. Very true. Not saying this is what I'm going to say. You need to figure
1: it out.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you bring that because communication simply is another way of saying language, right? Language, yeah. right? So in my in my paper when i when i wrote my dissertation i remember one of my committee member asking me are you talking about language or mathematics right so i was like no it's 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 the, it's, same, it's thing. the same thing Same
2: right. thing. it, it like can it. be the same thing I, let, let me, let me, I, I, i'll pull that back ahead. a little bit it you can, can be the same thing right it, oh absolutely it can be the same thing in fact um my master's thesis in communications <laughs> yeah. it is exactly that. How yeah. statistics operates as language. Mm-hmm. And how there is a rhetoric of mathematics as soon as, like if I just say two plus two is four. Mm-hmm. Okay. As an abstract notion. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Two things plus two more things Mm -hmm. give us four things. Mm -hmm. That's fine. That's not a language. But as soon as I say two apples plus two more apples give us four apples, Mm -hmm. now we have a language.
1: Right.
2: Because what we've done is we've taken this abstract system. Right. And we've applied it to something in the real world. Right. And its application to the real world has now changed.
0: And uh, let, me, let me add something to that, for what you're saying to build on the African child. We There's this constant argument. Now apples are common in, in the African continent. Now we can see apples now. But before, when you would say two apples plus two apples, you lost the child in their language because the child doesn't know what an apple is. There's there's no apples in that culture. So using that language completely gets the child lost. And another example is that in the United States where the the child was, they were trying to teach classification speaking of abstract, uh, um, abstract communication or math. Like they were trying to teach classification and the teacher said to them, brought them kale like classify this vegetables and they brought kale these children don't know what kale was
2: they know what kale
0: is <laughs> <But> <laughs> know in the united states so like you would mentioned previously that like the culture of the teacher the, we also need to consider the culture of the teacher this teacher is coming from a different culture even though in the same country it's coming from a culture where kale is like common vegetable in the, but these children don't know what kale was they had to use cars like one of the researchers in the room had to use cars i think they, they had to say no this cannot work like Irvine Irvine in 2010 her research was in 2010 she's like no we had to use cars because this student did not understand
2: didn't so understand
0: So language like language is such a key it's a key part of, of 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 learning language is also interesting one thing I also found interesting in that article that I shared with you is that they said there was this, this group of people like from a tribe in Africa that they, a certain number to them was taboo. And they also said in the Jewish system, a certain number is also taboo. So the students, because they didn't want, they will fail some things or not do well in a mathematical problem solving because they didn't wanna say the word, that number. Or they and didn't want to that number because it, using that number was taboo. So those so- kinds of other things. Uh, and, and and that's not unfamiliar to us. Right. That's not unfamiliar to us. Like we don't
2: like 13 uh, for whatever
1: reason. There we go, 13. <laughs> we don't like 13.
0: Right.
2: Okay. Um, so those things are not unfamiliar
1: to right. us.
0: Right. So culture really influences mathematics. So I think the bottom line is our pedagogy in the classroom, it needs to be culturally relevant. And it, it doesn't matter whether we think the subject is universal or not. Or because not. Every, like you said, communication language, once you take these numbers and you start putting them in the in the context and in a social context, it changes it. It makes it, it it's not just dry math. It becomes not pure math. It becomes math.
2: It, it, it becomes it, it becomes applied math, and applied math is communicative. Right. And if it's communicative. It's language. Right.
0: I think so. that is that is that is you I think you nailed it there and sealed it. And we should put a cross on it. <laughs>
1: yeah, we put it away.
0: I'll put it away. That was really wonderful. And um, I don't think we could have done a better discussion. Any last thoughts? I think that would I, it
1: I just me. want to say thank
2: you for having me. Thank you for having me on your podcast. This this was fantastic. It, it it it's, it's probably the, it's the highlight of my day ruth you're wonderful oh thank you i appreciate you um and thank you again for having me
0: absolutely thank you so much for giving me your most valuable time and for sharing your well-earned knowledge well-earned knowledge over this years with us because what you've shared you didn't learn it in one sitting it's over a lifetime and sharing it so generously and freely. I want to thank you so much for doing that.
2: You're very welcome. Thank you.
0: All right. We will talk later. Take care now. Okay. Bye.
2: Bye.